everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I am your host, Joe Perez, and with me as always is the wonderful Matt Rossi, who last I checked was eating a cookie. How you doing, Rossi? Nope, still eating a cookie. Yeah, go go to go talk to Crow. <laughs> Joining us today uh, is also going to be Crow, who hopefully you remember from the last time he was here. We're happy to have him. How you doing today, Crow? I am not bad, Joe. And uh, Matt, I am upset that you totally have a cookie because now I want a cookie and I don't. Should... Everybody should have, have cookies. My cookie. <laughs> I'm not saying I want to take your cookie. I'm saying I would like Look, a cookie. You'll take back a stump. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before we get started with the actual uh, sort of meat of the episode, I do want to take a quick moment to thank all of our patrons out there and our listeners who helped us make a big final push. As of the time of this recording, we have actually hit our goal to maintain weekly Lore Watch episodes. We could not have done that without your continued support, so I would like to thank you very much for that. Uh, in addition to that, we will probably be mentioning uh, some of our other goals that we're looking to come up, uh, such as reaching $6,000 a month. If we can hit that goal, we're looking at expanding our tabletop section. This includes me and Rossi and probably others talking about tabletop role-playing games, articles, and of the such. Uh, so if you have any interest in things like that, uh, that might be something to consider. But again, thank you very much for your support, and uh, we love you. Thank you. Are, are you guys going to call that Dice Watch? I haven't quite figured that out yet. No, because there's already like uh, one of the websites I watch for tabletop of all stores, including like you know just Avalon Hill type games. It's called Dice Breaker, so I wouldn't want to get too close to the whole dice thing because it's more than just oh, dice. What, yeah. if, what if you want to talk about the Amber Diceless Role Playing System? It's diceless. See, now I actually have a name that I'm not going to tell anybody while we're on a, while we're doing this live, but I'll tell you guys afterwards that I, I was going to kick off. <laughs> so I have I have something in the works for this, I think. But today we are going to do something that is a little bit different than what we normally do. In fact, we're not going to be talking about World of Warcraft today. Several of you out there have sent in suggestions for thematic episodes, and we appreciate that. Please keep those coming. You can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com and just let us know what kind of show you want us to do. Uh, we actually got several requests, uh, whether it was through there, uh, through the Discord channel or on Twitter, to do some more Overwatch stuff. So that's why we have Crow here. And Crow likes Overwatch. So we're going to talk about Overwatch. So Hi there. I like Overwatch. <laughs> so the first thing we're going to talk about is new heroes being added to the game. Uh, so between now and Overwatch 2's release, whenever that may be, um, there may still be additions to the game. And throughout the course of the game, new heroes have expanded particularly the lore of the game. And a lot of that lore of the game revolves around whatever role they fill, whether it's a support hero, a tank hero, or a DPS hero. So we're going to start with a very, I don't want to say a simple topic, but what do you think would be interesting possibilities for something to be introduced, for a character to be introduced between now and Overwatch 2's release? What role would you like them to fill and how do you think they would slot into the current story of the game or possibly the history of the game? And because Crow is the guest and resident Overwatch aficionado, we're going to start with you. What do you think? Oh, man. Um, well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit and I'm going uh, to call attention to the article I wrote earlier this week uh, speculating about an Overwatch animated series. 
uh, because one of the things that uh, that I thought was a possibility there was, um, so Overwatch is an international peacekeeping organization, or it was at the time, uh, that was backed by the United Nations and the uh, the International Justice Court. And the thing is, is that those structures shut Overwatch down. Those structures still exist in the world of Overwatch. And I'm sitting here wondering, you know, we don't really have a sense of what the authority of the world thinks of of Winston getting Overwatch back together. We know the Petrus Act makes it illegal, but is anyone going to enforce that law? Is there going to be somebody who's on the side of uh, the side of the governments or, or intergovernmental organizations like the UN being like, you know what, Overwatch should not be doing this. Yeah, we know they're fighting Null Sector and the Incredible Hulk and everything, but you know, something we we still need to bring these guys to justice because they are breaking the law of the land, and uh, and that that brings to mind all kinds of different instances where you've got good guys against good guys for. Uh, for those types of reasons, so hmm. So thinking about thinking about the notion of what kind of character, um, I, I feel like a damage character is probably the most likely, in the sense that it's someone. Because I'm imagining someone who'd be kind of like. Uh, an opposite number to Soldier 76 more than anything else. Somebody who, you know, has a military background or a law enforcement background who, you know, has, you know, that kind of physical acumen and physical training, uh, but also, um, um, but might, might be sort of unconventional, maybe more unconventional than Soldier already is. Actually, wait, no, Soldier's not that unconventional when you think about it, because he's got a rifle, he's got rocket propelled grenades hmm actually well, that's a thinker <laughs> i actually didn't think too terribly hard about the what kind of hero but you know like it, it would it would definitely be somebody who would bring that same kind of of authoritarian mean um but also be uh be an approachable and 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 a respectable character like you know we we would we would appreciate that he thinks he's doing the right thing even though everything else about the franchise of overwatch is telling us that winston and his party are doing the right thing or jack and anna are doing the right thing they're just doing it like you know old man style so yeah see i was thinking about this a little bit the other day because i i was looking at how things are distributed right and you have almost three times as many dps heroes as you do tanks or support and then i started breaking it down further and i started looking at you know good guys bad guys unaligned and one of the things that i noticed is that talon is incredibly underrepresented like look at tanks the talon tank is sigma that's it the there's plenty of unaligned uh, you have Wrecking Ball, who's unaligned, Road, Roadhog, who's unaligned, uh, Arisa, who technically is unaligned, but the other ones, all the aligned ones, are quote-unquote good guys. Um, I, And it also holds true for support. If you look at the support side of things, you have your unaligned, then you have your Overwatch, uh, quote-unquote, good guys, you have your ex-talent agent, and then one talent agent. I think it would be interesting to see more because one of the aspects that I really liked about Talon is this idea that they don't put all of their eggs in one basket. There's always multiple gamuts, multiple schemes going on. And this is something that they've established through a lot of the the short cartoons and stories and even the in-game events is that there's always another plan. Like look at the Doomfist thing. It was he kept saying all of the plans, not 
the plan, all of the plans. And that was always an interesting aspect to me because Talon tends to be, I don't want to say mustache stoking maniacal. They're very planning and plotting. They actually have a structure. They actually try to do things in a specific manner to accomplish a goal. How they get there, they don't really care. They just put a bunch of different, like, paths out there and which one works out works out as long as it gets to the same goal we haven't seen that represented in hero choice at all for them you want to if you are and this is going to sound goofy but i know people that really love the idea of playing as a talent agent you want to play a different talent agent as support sorry too bad play mora that's it like that that that's that's your option you want to play a tank? or you put baptiste you put baptiste in the in his talent armor and Shh. you know just pretend that he never left you could you could do that, but I'm just saying in context of current story. Um, tanks, you can play Sigma. Okay, that's it. Or, or you can pretend that Roadhog decided to join up with them, which, no. So I would like to see them sort of expand on sort of those things, because you know Moira isn't the only scientist they had employed. You know that Sigma isn't the only person that they had any sort of control, right? So I'd like to see them expand those rosters out just a little bit. Uh, I understand that it might be the harder ones to balance game mechanically, but story-wise, I think it would add an extra layer of depth. I'd love to see somebody who harnesses light for, you know, maybe defense. You know, or... I don't know. Like, there... There's so many different ways that they could go about it. Maybe a pure magic support, but it's like the Enchantress. It's an evil magician. It just happens to be like, look, I machines are terrible. I just want the world to not be with the machines anymore. I want to go back to like, you know, they go the Morgana Le Fay route. You know, it should be my rule. It should be I should be in charge of things. Have her aligned with Talon and have that sort of that that mystical element to it, which I think would be really, really cool to sort of juxtapose that into a very sci-fi heavy environment i think that would be interesting because they've already made some references to mysticism in the game quite a quite a few references actually so those would be where i'd like to see them shore up and how i'd like to see them sort of slot into the current events what about you rossi i want you guys to think about the structure of overwatch when it, before it came down they were involved in a years-long war with talon and you could argue that they lost. Because mm -hmm. Talon's still going concerned and Overwatch is nowhere to be seen. The global organization that Overwatch was is gone. Even if people are showing up and, you know, calling themselves Overwatch, it's a it's like it, what? Winston and his amazing friends? It's not a global organization. Who was Talon's biggest problem? Was it was it was it, you know, um Gabio Reyes? No. Clearly it wasn't. He currently works for Talon. Was it Jack Morrison? No, it absolutely wasn't. It was Gerard LaCroix. Mm -hmm. And he was such a pain in the ass that they tried to kill him multiple times. And they never did. They completely failed. Until they kidnapped his wife and brainwashed her and used her to kill him. And despite the fact that he knew full well that Talon wasn't playing by the same rules as everybody else, and he says this to Reyes at one point, he fell for it. His brainwashed wife successfully assassinated him, and he's dead now. Which is a great cover. 
Yep. Oh, no. No, don't we, do it, Ross. We've been speculating about this particular one for a little while. Yeah. Go for it. Go for <laughs> it. Because here's my thing. One of the criticisms of Widowmaker, one of the criticisms of Blizzard's storytelling with female characters is that they keep setting up the damaged, you know, the damaged sniper, the damaged long range assassin, the woman who all of her, you know, all of her stuff comes from this one traumatic event and she's forever changed by it. But I, I keep going back to Widowmaker talking to Ana Amari. And she says, you know, when Anamari is like, you know, he was a fool to love you. Uh, Widowmaker's response is, you know nothing about him. Not not exactly the response you would expect from somebody who's been brainwashed to hate him, right? Yeah, and she then later on went to his grave on Christmas. And showed emotion. Now, you can you could argue that this is just her brainwashing cracking, but she... What if it's something else? What if she's a hard... What, what if she's a deep cover operative? What if he didn't fall for it and they used this to fake his death and the two of them are working to take Talon down. Now, suddenly it's a completely different kind of storytelling. It takes Widowmaker out of that stereotypical, you know, Sylvanas slash, um, oh, bloody heck, uh, I can't remember. Kerrigan. From, Kerrigan. Thank you, Kerrigan. It takes her out of that and puts her into a different operation where she's effectively in charge of her own self the, the thing she's doing she's doing for her own goals and it lets it lets LaCroix come back because he's one of the more interesting characters they ever had and then they just wasted him in somebody's backstory so that's the one I've been thinking about for a long time I'm not saying that Gerard will come back I don't think he will I don't think he will be a character but if you are thinking talking to me about characters I would like to see that's the one I would like to see even if he is dead, I would like to see his legacy. I would like to see why. Why did Widowmaker visit his grave? Why does she act the way she does about him? It's you it's know, an interesting. That's, that's something I, I'd like very much to see those threads get picked up. I, I'm not so much concerned about what roles they fill in the game because I, I am the person who I love Overwatch. I think it's great, but I can't freaking play it. It is incredibly unfriendly to people with visual impairment, and I am one of those people. So I can watch people play it, but I can't play it. Um, I get sick actually watching people play it, so I have to kind of like watch for five seconds, close my eyes for three seconds, then watch and then close. So it's not the most fun for me to actually observe it in, in play. But I think the story is really interesting and cool, and I'm very excited to see where Overwatch 2 takes it. Um, but that's the other thing. Another thing I want to see is... I want to see, since we're talking about like how you've got Talon characters, you've got unaligned characters, you've got characters who are like obviously part of the new Overwatch. What's up with Null Sector? Yeah. Right. Why are they doing this? Like, how, like Omnix, we had the Omnic crisis where Omnix attacked the world. Now you've got Null Sector. Null Sector is obviously not, do they have a, a secret Omnium somewhere? Where are they coming from? Why are they suddenly everywhere? Why are they suddenly a global threat? Like we, the Omnics have not been a global threat for like I don't know over a decade at this point. It's kind of hard to tell. We don't know exactly how long it's been, but yeah, no, it's it's an issue. But literally out of nowhere, suddenly this incredibly heavily armed Omnic organization that can attack Paris 
And, like, you know, the Parisian military didn't exactly show up. Like, the French military was... I know enough about the French that I know they have a standing army. Um, they have, a mil, they have like, an anti-terrorism task force. They've got people. Uh, where were they? Where, you know, how, how, how did they do it this quickly? That the only people who could show up were, like, a ragtag bunch of misfits were the only ones who showed up. There's, there's a lot more to the null sector and what they're up to. And I'd love to see, like, imagine if they started making, like, instead of one of the things with Overwatch is all the heroes are incredibly individualistic. Like you want to play just a talent agent. You really can't. And you certainly can't play as just a null sector drone. But what if you could, what if they started introducing heroes that were literally just this class of null sector Omnic? Like, Bastion's a kind of Omnic. There were lots of Bastion units. Ariza is a modified version of another kind of unit. We've seen that unit in the in the uh, Reinhardt cinematic. You know, when they started developing and dropping in new kinds of Omnics. Imagine, like, playable characters in Overwatch that, that were just units. They're just Omnic units. That would be interesting. Again, when I'm saying these things, I don't necessarily think they will happen. For one but, thing, I don't really think we're going to get much development in Overwatch at all. Uh, I think they're going to work... Anything really big and departing from the plan is going to be Overwatch 2. I well, think Overwatch now is currently in kind of a caretaker mode. So I'm a, little curi I'm a little curious to see how much or how little they do introduce before Overwatch 2 comes out. Well, a couple things I would say is that they, they have stated that they're not going to stop, you know, developing for the PVP content, which is essentially Overwatch 1, right? That's going to continue. It's just going to essentially, the trajectories are going to remain, uh, they're going to, they're going to align between 1 and 2. But it's interesting you bring that up, because one of the things I was going to say is, your idea of playing as a class of Omnic is actually a really good idea, and is something that could actually fit really, really well into that Overwatch 2 PvE story stuff, especially if there is, um, you know, telling the story from the Null Sector side or an event in which the Null Sector is going after, you know, the certain members of Overwatch or whatever the case is or interacting with Talon in some manner. That's a really great way that they could show that. And we know that that's something that they can do because they have done it for the special events in the past. So if you look at like the Halloween event, uh, I mean, it's literally four specific characters going after a whole bunch of modified ones. And, you know, it's yes, it's a, a non-canonical story. It's a one-off thing, whatever. But the concept is really the important part there. And, I mean, imagine that that King, what is it, King's Row? Yeah, it was the King's Row uh, event where you're playing as the Overwatch agents and you're going through and you're, you're fighting back. What if that was reversed? What, what information would that glean? And I think that's something that they could explore in moving forward with that. And then, depending on how they do it, make those characters available uh, to the PvP side of things because they're just generic DPS, generic support, generic tank, or whatever the case is. But I like that idea a lot because it's something unique. The other thing that I was think, thinking about when you started mentioning uh, Gerard is Gerard was their handler. And it would be incredibly interesting to see a character like that in a support role. Because, so, not to, to totally jump between games, but way back in the day when City of Heroes was a thing, one of my favorite character classes was the controller. And it was all buffs for the party. 
uh, or you could be essentially a damage controller where like you basically shape the battlefield. I liked that concept, but it has not been done in a video game since, at least not in the same manner. Somebody who's essentially or ostensibly a handler for agents, it would be really interesting to see a class that focuses almost solely on buffing a team, giving them orders, maybe increasing their damage or increasing like a dodge percentage or, or whatever the case is. Like there's different ways that they could do that. It would fit really, really uniquely with that type of character. And I'd love to see that because... You know, what if you're right? What if he is somebody who faked his death and it was all to get deep in and, and tear apart talent? What if he's still working in the background? What if that's the story? And then you the thing fit is, that is into that the mechanics. I will say this, that there is a lot of good reasons not to do it. It's like one of the things is they've already had characters who fake their own death, like Anna Amari. And so you don't want to have everybody. You don't want to have people having everyone who faked their death. Nobody actually died. So. But I, the way, that's why I say I'd like to see some legacy of him. And one of the things I'd like to see in terms of legacy one of the, is the effect it had. Like what was really going on to this day? What's going on in Widowmaker's head? That I'd like to see. I'd also – I keep thinking to myself, you know who doesn't know well enough to let people be dead? Mercy. Yeah, I was going to say there, we, we, <laughs> we, we have – yeah, we've got lots of examples of her kind of pushing it in terms of technology and in terms of not letting somebody die the way they were supposed to. Reyes is a big example of that. And we know she was one of of his doctors. Yep. Because when the when Talon first tried to kill him by blowing up the whole you know, whole office, she was one of the ones Dr. Ziegler was one of his doctors. She treated him. And I'm always thinking what if what we have isn't actually him? It just – it's like if she tried to do stuff with cybernetics and biotics and so forth to keep him alive and it didn't work but something came out of that because we know that with Omnics, we've got entities that have developed not just sentience but sapience. We have Omnic units that can think and have religion. What if you get an Omnic unit that was attempting – it was basically – an attempt to save someone's life with computer assist and the person died, but the computer isn't willing to accept it. Imagine a computer that doesn't want to let somebody die, even though they're dead. It's, it's just, it can't let go because it's programmed to not let go. It's an assist or... program that does not want to let somebody be dead. And it, so since he's dead and it can't save him, it can continue his work. What was that? That's, what something gonna... I keep that's, that, that's one possibility, but, but something else that just came to mind is we, we have this, when you, when you mentioned like, you know, Omnics that have developed religion, we, we have this notion of the Iris that the Shambhali uh, put forth this notion that, that it is, it is a concept. It's a thing that exists in which humanity and machines you know, find a point of contact with one another. Like this is a thing that they have in common, man, machine, we are all together in the iris, which is like, yeah, philosophically and socially, that's one thing. But what if there's something to that? And what if there's something to the notion that you could have the essence of a human person, you know, pass into an omnic shell? 
like so what if, what if there is the possibility that Gerard is you know he's the the body of Gerard is dead but the mind of Gerard is now in an omnic body and what what does what does that experience do to him as a character how does it play into his relationships with everyone else his quests to dismantle talent whether or not uh, Amelie killed him in the first place i i, I think that in terms and of making it something that is, approachable, yeah. yeah. When you think about that, too, there's a lot of story meat to be wrung out of the fact that you don't know if he's just a machine that thinks he's crazy or if he actually is the person he thinks he is. Right. Oh, yeah. There's always that concept. It goes back to, the, you know, if you, if you read comic books, you know about Alan Moore. Uh, when he took over Swamp Thing, he took the character of Swamp Thing, which was a pretty bog standard man gets transformed into a monster. Ha <laughs> bog standard. <laughs> but he took that and said, what if the, the, the monster has never actually been the man? He just thought he was. Like the man died, yep. but the, the, the memories of him went into this plant, like a planarian worm that remembers this person, even though that person is gone. And you could definitely, you could ring a lot out of, is that what happened? Is this a machine that thinks it's Gerard? Is it Gerard inhabiting a machine? Is it some kind of fusion of the two? Like, was it, you know, did did Ziggler play God? And if so, how far did she go? What? Well, I mean, other yeah. side of that coin, what if it wasn't Ziggler? What if it was Moira? What, like, there's an interesting twist on that, too. I, and I don't want to say oh, yeah. it may be interesting, Absolutely. but like, what if they exhumed his body and then tried to shove his brain into an omnit to get everything out of him that they could? And it seems like, oh, exact, wow. it seems like exactly the type of. Uh, experimentation yeah. that Moira would do and exactly the type of thing Talon would be into. And the interesting thing there is maybe it opens up with, you know, a communication from, you know, Widowmaker to, you know, maybe, maybe Anna Amari says, you know, Gerard's alive location. That's all it says. And you go through this whole thing, this whole scenario. And let's say Overwatch too, where, it's a PVE encounter where you're essentially raiding through a Talon facility that has been given to you that you never knew existed, fighting, you know, Talon agents, fighting uh, programmed robots, and then getting to the where the holding cell is or, or whatever the case is. And instead of Gerard, it's an Omnic shell. But the Omnic shell has the thoughts or brain of Gerard and believes himself to be Gerard in every capacity. Like, and the mustache. He has to have the mustache. Has to have the mustache. But, I mean, I just think it would be a very interesting concept to sort of have that because then you have that level of shock uh, from these people who would very, very obviously go through any length they could to save him if he was still alive. Um, you have the deceit and vileness of Talon uh, that fits well within what their MO is and the sort of mentality of the mad scientist that Moira is putting out there. And then you have this sort of almost, I don't want to say defeat, but you have this moment of, of weird reconciliation where they still rescue this, the shell because it's talking like and acting like and has all the memory of, of Gerard. And now you guys start to get into the whole metaphysical debate and it comes back to, like you said, with the iris where, you know, maybe this is just what can happen because Omnic and human are so close to each other that this is just something that that is normal that nobody ever considered before. There, there's a lot you can do with that. And I like I like some of those ideas. And hopefully we can see some of that develop going into uh, the time between Overwatch one and Overwatch two, maybe plant some seeds, maybe maybe some items like that. 
I will also say that if they're going to do new heroes, uh, Sojourn doesn't have to wait for a Watch 2, guys. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> Jeff... Well, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sojourn doesn't have to wait for Overwatch 2. I'd love to have her now, but the problem is, is that Jeff's already said she's not coming until Overwatch 2. She'll be, she, she's, she's definitely yeah, not. The thing about in. that is, minds can be changed and decisions can be altered. Okay, yeah. In uh, that case, hey Jeff, we'd love Sojourn before Overwatch 2. Please, yesterday, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. If nothing else, give us another Canadian hero. He doesn't have to drink maple syrup and, and roll it and like skate into enemies. He can. Or Maybe he's a lumberjack. Can. That'd be a bonus. Uh, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to tell you what, how to do your Canadian. But you know, some poutine weapons. I, I'm not saying they need to be poutine based. But you know, if he's got some poutine, he wants to throw at people. That's fine. Um, Ultimate poutine. The cheese curds. Eh? Nice. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I I'm sorry. I'm I'm very close to to Canada, and I have a lot of a lot of uh, experience with uh, genuine got, Canadian interactions. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> Please don't it's hate me just, out there. It, it's just there's there's a lot of stuff they could do. Yeah, coming up with what they would like to do. Um, I, I know that the the stuff we've talked about is some stuff. Uh, it would be really nice to see. There's organizations that we never see anything of. Like the Junker Queen, we still haven't seen much of. Yeah, we've had we some limited interaction, back. right? Yeah. We introduced her back in the in the in the Junkrat and uh Roadhog focused bit when they were doing that. You you guys remember the cinematic and all that. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But they we haven't seen her really. And that I'd like to see this woman who basically decided F you guys, you're not helping us. You're not like you. You let the Omnics have this area after they attacked us. We're we're not having it. And started her own basic society. Yep. Out in the middle of nowhere, uh, and it's working. It's not like falling apart. It's it's going. It's a going concern. Uh, so that would be cool. I'd like to see more about her. Who is she? What's she up to? Uh, how does she deal with like a sentient hamster from space? suddenly you know landing in the middle of her area with like a building himself a robot you know out of the out of his escape pod um i'm sorry man but that 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 hamster really does f with my head every time i think about it right like there's, there's a space colony where like a bunch of uplifted gorillas and also this hamster <laughs> and the hamster is the one who escaped and is now roaming around on the earth in a giant robot of his own construction and he's well, okay the then Wrecking Here's balls, the thing my about Hammond, garbage, right? child. <laughs> the thing about Hammond is, is you know, the, the part where in the identity of being Wrecking Ball, he's just supposed to be this guy who doesn't get out very much, who always stays inside the mech. And, you know, Junkrat's a big fan and things like, oh, yeah, I totally buy that guy drinks. And Roadhog doesn't care because Roadhog doesn't care about anything. But but the thing about thing, no one is supposed to know that he's a hamster inside of of the mech. And so while we can write that off for Junkrat and Roadhog as them being idiots and not and, you know, not recognizing it, even while even while like they're on the battlefield with Wrecking Ball on the team, I can I, I'd love the idea of the Junker Queen just playing it straight and also not acknowledging that it's a hamster in the ball, that it's that she's totally like, yeah, no, totally. Wrecking Ball's a guy he just doesn't talk very much. Just so, the ridiculousness of it just needs to get amped to 11, and I, I don't know how best to do that. Now, the other side of this coin, and something that I, I thought would be, um, I don't want to say a super interesting topic, but sort of elaborating on what we're talking about, adding characters in the game, is we have a, a pretty long history now in the time that Overwatch has been out, which has been how many years at this point? 
this will be five. Yeah, it'll be four years in May. Yeah. They were developing back in like 2013, 2014. Yeah. Um, and there's, I know that there was like Sojourn, for instance. I know this because I, I just looked her up. They were, they developed Sojourn in 2015. Like that's when they came up with the concept for Sojourn. So yeah, five, six years. It's time, Jeff. Put her in the game. But the interesting thing to me is that every time they've added a character, it's been tied to something in the story and has expanded it in some way, whether it's a personal connection uh, or just some more background stuff. Like we talked about Baptiste a little bit. He's not really tied to anyone specifically. He's more tied to the organizational level of things, uh, but it adds different depth to that particular part of the story. Like, you know, oh, I learned what we were doing was evil when we thought we, we were told we were doing it for good. So, like, through the, the history of the game, what characters do you think have added the most to that story and or, or in a way that may have yet to sort of fully blossom or might fully blossom in the future? Uh, plenty of options out there, but we'll start again with, with you, Crow. All right. Um, well, well, first and foremost, and, and this, this calls back a little bit to something we were talking about earlier with the idea of, of null sector characters being playable. Like there's a piece of concept art that we've seen with like a whole bunch of these, you know, null sector branded bots. And we see a bunch of them in the, uh, in the demo, uh, the, the, the demo mission, the Rio mission that they had on the floor at BlizzCon. You see a bunch of them. You see the behemoth. You see the new Null Troopers, you know, all those guys. Um, but the concept art that's out there has got a bunch of these other unique-looking dudes. And one of them looks like an evil version of Bastion. One of them is a big, you know, long-looking character with a scythe. One's this giant rat, which is, I mean, you know, not the most outlandish thing that could possibly happen. But... In terms of characters that could add something to the narrative, the idea of having a character that is aligned with Null Sector uh, be one of the playable characters in the game and give us that 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 perspective into that organization and what they're all about, that would be something that would be on a similar level with what we have with Batiste and what we have with you know Doomfist and Sigma to a certain extent as well, building out. You know what talent is aside from just being a place where badasses go to hang out. Um, so, so like null sector heroes is something that I think is totally going to come down the line since they're the next major faction that we're seeing added to the game. Um, if there's if there's a character that's added the most to the world in a post-launch circumstance, probably the one that comes to mind quickest is. Hmm. It, it, it might actually be Doomfist himself because he's someone who brings together like the MacGuffin from the announcement cinematic uh, of Doomfist's gauntlet. Um, he unites the, uh, he, he brings Numbani more into the narrative itself as a location that, that was important to be fought over. He's an African character. So there's an entire continent that, that he brings into the narrative and expands upon. Um, Nigerian specifically, I know I, I should be more specific there, uh, and you know just all of the additional dimension that he adds to Talon as an organization feels very very valuable because when it's Reaper and Widowmaker on that team and you add Somber later on, it's just kind of like okay yeah these are like th these are guys that you would expect to see on Cobra back on GI Joe, but Doomfist is uh, is 
as a leader of that feels like a guy who provides this very particular perspective about what the organization is about that it isn't just just an evil chaos organization it's really got this this serious intent of we're going to encourage chaos because it's going to encourage evolution and improve everybody that's here and that's a big deal so i i because reaper just wants to kill everybody and widowmaker just wants to kill people so that she can feel alive and sombra just wants to find puppet masters so she can be the puppet master I'm sorry, I'm going overboard, but still. Yeah, Doomfist. Doomfist is my vote for the character who's added the most. <laughs> I mean, overboard is kind of what we do on this show. Don't apologize for that. <laughs> Rossi, what about you? Uh, hmm. It's not something I think about a lot, to be honest. Uh, whereas, you know, other things take up my time. Like, I think a lot about... I think, honestly, I like the fact that Zarya introduces the whole Russian angle on the Omnic crisis. The Russians never accepted Overwatch, and they, they went their own way with gigantic robots um, and, and fought them, basically. They, they were like, they treated the uh, Omnic crisis like a swarm. Like, like, a, like the Omnic were an individual kaiju that you could just pummel into submission with, with big, you know, mecha robots from, like, your favorite anime or manga. I like that, that, that she allows that to be something we know about. That we get we get a perspective character on that whole crisis on how they dealt with it. Um, I like having Junkrat and and Roadhog because again they 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 introduced those things. These are all like they were pretty much launch characters. Zarya and, and yes. Roadhog and Junkrat they were all launch characters. Uh, I think uh, Brigitta is one of the characters I'm most interested by because she comes in subtly. Like, we didn't know, we, we had no idea when we first saw her that she'd be playable. She's like, she's like, do we see her, I think, in a couple of comics as this, you know, character. She's just there. She's following Reinhardt around. Who is she? What's going on? You find out her connection to Torbjorn and that she, you know, she's got a family connection to Overwatch, that she's not just some person that, that Reinhardt picked up. She's, you know, somebody that he knew, that, that he met in by being part of Overwatch, by him being friends with Torbjorn. And you see her kind of come to the realization that, you know, she is not satisfied just following him around. That it is not enough for her to be just his support, to, to patch him up. And I liked that. I liked the, the, the angle that it provided on a character. Um, she's her own kind of tank, and that's fine if you, if that's the, if you want the game connection of it, but for me, the story connection of this character, who is, it really shows. What, what really shows through is like when you watch the. You guys both watched the Overwatch cinematic, right? Like Overwatch Two intro cinematic. I don't have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You guys have seen that. There's the bit where she shows up, and you know they're they're all doing fighting, and Genji does a lot of really cool shit. I'm quite frankly, I've gone from not thinking much about Genji at all to whoa, Genji's cool, uh, just in that cinematic. But the part where like Tracer's like you know Brigitte and grabs her and you know and. She's like, hi, and they, they, there's the thing I like about characters like her that have been introduced is that they provide that sense of, of connection to the world, that she grew up in this world. She grew up as the child of one member of Overwatch and became the, like, the squire to another, essentially, and now she's stepping forward and becoming someone who actually defends the world, not, not doesn't just wait for other people to do it, but actually defends it herself. 
there's there's a lot to, I like about her as a character, as an as an introductory person, as as a point of view really, and it it is. I think in a lot of ways it, it, it broadened the, the way the world is presented for me. Um, but there's a lot of other characters that, that do similar things like um, Orza. I mean, I, I really like how Orza changes things up, how it's, it's almost like the really important character isn't Orza, but Orza's creator. Um, and that's fascinating to me that, that it's a, it's definitely, it's a direct response to Doomfist because you were talking about Doomfist and the impact he had, that the impact he had is so great that people are like creating robots to fight him. I mean, it's just, there's, there's a lot of that kind of thing that I think we could get more of that we could get more. Like, I, I think Sigma is an example of a character who didn't really add much. I, I, I definitely agree. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, sure he's there and he's, he's got his weird powers, but it doesn't feel like he brought in anything new. I agree. Whereas Moira did, like Moira changed things around, knowing that Moira existed, knowing what Moira did, that she was in Blackwatch. It changes. Like we've really slowly, piece by piece, gotten an idea of the kind of person Reyes was before everything went wrong, and that to me is also fascinating because Reaper as a character has become more interesting as other people have come into the game, as Sombra got introduced. As Moira got introduced, we've learned a, a little bit more about Talon and about Reaper's role in it, and that to me is fascinating. See, and, and I, I think that's why, like the the heart of this question or the heart of this topic was for me is because Overwatch. I don't want to say uniquely, but more so than a lot of other uh, games out there that do this, when they have introduced new characters, there's been, for the most part, with like the exception of like Sigma, uh, there's been a direct tie to another character that sort of helps flush out that character even further and at the same time add depth to the world. It's it's a unique way of adding story to a game that isn't particularly story-driven in the game itself, right? Um, another great example of that, I think, is Ash, who is probably one of my favorite additions simply because I like unaligned characters. I like this idea of there being characters that don't really have an affiliation to the good guys or the bad guys. They're just trying to do their own thing in a world that has gone downhill or has not exactly gone where, where they were promised it was going to go. Sound familiar? Um, and like a character like Ashes is, is interesting to me because she adds depth to McCree and made for me McCree a way more interesting character. And as you learn more about it, it's like, okay, well, they founded this gang together. They had a certain set of tenants, like never work with the law. Well, McCree is now technically working with the law or did um, for a very, very long time. Why? What made him change that? And the idea that she didn't come from, you know, the same background as everybody else. She was a rich kid who, you know, now she's doing what she's doing now, still running that gang. What does that mean? And it, 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 to me, it adds some interesting possibilities for the future. Not only does it flush out McCree, not only did it help us introduce Sovereign, um, or Sojourn, excuse me, um, but it also... Poutine bomb, Joe. Yes, poutine bomb. <laughs> but it's... Poutine ultimates. I love it. But it's one of those things where, like, what could it mean for the future? Could there be things where she gets more involved or where are the heists that she wants to pull? Because she's still free out there. She was just the last we saw is the gang was just tied up and sent on their hover dolly and sent along their way on Route 66. Right. So they're still free. 
what does that mean? Will they could they possibly hit talent facilities? Could we see a game mode in Overwatch 2 where you are literally playing as the gang? Where it's just all four of them because there are still four members if you include Bob, and I include Bob because it's Bob. Um it it it's an opportunity to expand like why would they be hitting these facilities? Would they be you know, would they be contracted? Would they be agreeable to work with with Talon or or whatever the case is if the money was right? How would that be sort of played? And then I just I love those ideas. But I think every character that they've added, whether it's Brigitte, uh, whether it is Ash, whether it is um I mean, Moira is another like you said, is a great example. They all add something more that brings these other characters further along. And I think that is that's one of the coolest things about this game to me. I, I want to offer like a bit of a defense for Sigma in this respect, because I, in general, I, yeah, I, I agree, you know, completely with the idea that every character that's been added to the game after the launch, you know, all of them were accessories to uh, other characters in, in one form or another. And, and yeah, basically a hundred percent agreed with that notion. And Sigma does that less, but he doesn't do it zero he, he doesn't do it not at all because the thing that he adds some dimension to i think is talon as an organization itself because here's the thing you, you look at sigma you look at his situation um in terms of a scientist who's involved in an accident who develops you know fantastic powers as a result he is exactly the kind of oddity character that 10 years ago would have been like on the list of people that overwatch would a they'd probably be going in to help him in the first place and b after helping him they would turn him into an asset for the organization so the notion that talon would get to sigma and you know yeah we we know obviously that that uh that they're manipulating him and using his research and using him and you know the you know his, in his broken mental state that he's in we know that Talon is is misusing him, but we know that that's something that they are willing to do that Overwatch would have been similarly interested in doing if they if they'd been able to like I can. This is a headcanon, you know, in the sense that there's nothing to confirm this in the official lore as yet. But if the accident with Sigma took place in like if if that was made an event in Overwatch um, in the lore it would be interesting to determine if, you know, if both Winston and Doomfist are both sitting there saying, wait a sec, there's this scientist. The reports are saying he's got some, he's a, he's a walking gravitic anomaly. We need to get this guy to keep him out of the other guy's hands. And Winston and Doomfist are both saying this about each other. And it's just Talon, you know, was able to, to, to get there first. And that's why they have Sigma. And that's why Sigma's working for them. He's not beholden to the organization because I don't think he has any clue what he's doing. But he's he's someone who um who his affiliation with Talon helps to demonstrate that Talon is evil Overwatch in almost every sense of the word. Fair enough. I mean, well, that's... for that matter though, if you want a, a character who can introduce who doesn't have any direct ties to anyone, but who does that for Talon, that's Baptiste as well. True, Baptiste doesn't true. just do that for talent. He also kind of does it for the world at large. This is like this is what it's like to be this guy. What it's like to be not the superstars who founded Overwatch, not the you know 
he's just some guy. Baptiste is ultimately he's really interesting because he reminds me very much of there was uh, I can't remember his name. But there was a Cobra character in the co- original GI Joe comics who was just like Bob, and he was like the Crimson. He was like one of the commandos for Cobra who eventually got out and. He, he didn't have any real, like, he wasn't, like, a world-renowned secret agent or spy or soldier or anything. He was just a grunt for Cobra. And what he did was give you that perspective of what Cobra was, how it got people to join, how it, how it sold itself. And that's what Baptiste does. Baptiste tells you how Talon appeals to the rank and file. How does Talon have, like, when you're doing the... Uh, I don't want to say uprising. I can't remember the name of it. The, the the mission where it's the Black Watch agents going in to get the guy that put the hit on 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 Lacroix. Uh, retribution. Yeah, when you're doing that one, you are literally facing dozens of faceless Talon goons. They come out of the. They're everywhere. They keep dropping in on you, and you keep thinking to yourself, "How do they get so many goons?" Well, that's what Baptiste shows you. Baptiste shows you exactly how Talon does it, and that's fascinating. Um, I do think, though, that it would be nice to. There are other organizations in the world, and it would be nice for some of them to get some representation. It doesn't just not just Null Sector either. There's like the the Gang Sombra was in originally. Uh, the one that um, Soldier Seventy Six is beating the crap out of in his little uh, intro. Los Muertos, yeah, Los Muertos could totally do it. There's lots of characters, lots lots of organizations you could see more of. Vishkar, I'd love to see more about Vishkar. What's Vishkar doing? What's going on with them? Uh, there's just a lot of room for that. And of course, you know, the Mecha Squadron has got like four other characters basically all ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in terms of dropping them in as heroes. So now this brings us to the last topic that I thought we would talk about today and circles back to something Crow brought up a little bit earlier. And it's speculation regarding the leak of the Overwatch animated series. So it's, again, speculation. There's nothing that has been confirmed or or really pushed out there saying that it is or is not happening. But in a world where everything is getting optioned by Netflix and Hulu, I don't see it not being a thing at some point. So let's let's pretend that it is guaranteed to happen. Let's let's pretend that we have our confirmation. What story would you like them to tell in the context of an animated series, not something that would have to be presented in game. What characters would you like them to explore more? We've already talked about, we have a ton of options. Would any of those options be more suited to that sort of, uh, that sort of media? Would you like to see a Voltron style esque animated like series showing what crow? We'll start with you since you wrote that lovely piece already. Oh man. (laughs) There's, there's, there's so much. I mean, uh, I wrote about Sombra and the Puppet Masters. I think that Sombra as a character who can who can be an antagonist for both Talon and Overwatch and uh, you know what whatever Soldier and Anna are up to, and you know basically any other unaligned group as well. Sombra could be an enemy for everyone. She's one of the few characters in in the in the show, I think, that really, you know, is able to take that kind of position. But I also think that that puts her in a position of being able to 
be at the center of a very interesting story, a, a story where, you know, she's manipulating things and everyone is just trying to catch up to what it is that she's doing. It's very much a, if you remember the first season of Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, the, the laughing man and all of the ways that the laughing man was a character that everyone wanted to get their hands on, but nobody could find. Uh, that's, that's something that would work perfectly with Sombra at the center of it. And that's, it's just, uh, I just love the idea of it. Um, what, what to, like, the, the difficulty too is that you, you, you don't want to do something that's as, you know, basic as your old G.I. Joe type shows, right? Where it's just like, oh, you know, here's the plot of the week and here's like the new bad guys we're going to introduce for this week and maybe they'll show up later, but probably not. You, you want to do something that's more complicated than that. But you also, you know, want to be able to showcase everyone and 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 have everything come into play. So it, it, you, there are so many different kinds of shows out there that you could do this with. That Overwatch is a wonderful canvas to draw. To it's a wonderful canvas to draw on, but it is also a wonderful source from which to draw a bunch of different kinds of shows. You could do Ghost in the Shell. You could do. A, a Voltron anime type show. Uh, you could you could do Thundercats Roar if you really wanted to, because a super silly, super deformed Teen Titans Go show, like focusing on Tracer and Winston's antics in headquarters, just also sounds like a lot of fun. Okay, what about you, Rossi? Uh, there's lots of stuff that I think is not really suited to a game that is basically let's go shoot a bunch of people but that is very definitely part of the world and setting that I could love to see. Like, for instance, um, the, the whys and wherefores of the, of the Omnics. Like, what's going on? You've got the, the psychological slash philosophical ones like Zen, you know, Zenyatta and uh, Mondata and so forth. You mentioned the Iris. But then there's, like, there's Bastion, you know, who is basically just there. He just exists and doesn't really have... He isn't really thinking a lot about his condition, if that makes sense. He just exists, and that's that's what there is of his life. Life is even seems weird to say, but you know what I'm getting at. I, what about him? Like, how does that work? And what does that, any of this have to do with Null Sector? What's going... Like, the whys and wherefores of that. I mean, I, I, I possibly feel like that's the kind of stuff you could do better in an anime. But another thing I'd love to see uh, would be... A show that basically did, you know, give us all that backstory that we're not going to get in the game because it happened in the past. Give us the Omnic Crisis. Like, how did it happen? Why did it happen? Give, you know, you can really imagine a, a show focusing on how Overwatch got formed. How, you know, th th we know that the story is out there because they were going to do a graphic novel of it. And they decided not to. So maybe do it in the animated show. Maybe show us the first Overwatch team. Maybe show how it's weird because, in a way, Overwatch is one of those organizations that won the war and then had no idea what to do in the world after it. And that in a lot of ways, that was its undoing. They tried to convert themselves from, from a warfront organization to a peacekeeping one, and they didn't really pull it off. And that's the thing is there's a lot of tragedy inherent in the Overwatch story. This is not a story of these is a story of great heroes who succeeded when the world needed them, but then completely failed afterwards. And I'd love to see some stuff dealing with and concerned with that. 
there's there's a ton you could to, you could totally do. You could you could take it worldwide. You could show all the various characters we haven't gotten to see. But I really do keep coming back to this idea of 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 giving us the stuff that we haven't been able to see just because it it happened before the game. And the game is never, you know, the game has been pretty good at showing people stuff that happened before the present day um through events, but you could do some some really stuff that's just much broader than that. Rather than this is a, a specific moment in our past, you could do the whole thing of the formation. You could do the whole Omnic Crisis. And I really do feel like it's getting to the point where that, that stuff kind of does need to be fleshed out. So for me, I'm reminded of the Netflix series that they did, which was Love, Death, and Robots. And it was an interesting thing where there were several short stories presented inside of each of these, these animated items. And I kind of like the idea of taking that similar format and applying it to the history of overwatch, because like you said, they're really good at doing those events, but there's so much more going on. There are so many different topics that could be fully explored. So I'm thinking to me, I don't necessarily want one giant coherent like here's 13 episodes of something that's dedicated to one storyline maybe it's a smaller section of one hour shorts or whatever that explains like you said the omnic crisis the forming of overwatch the forming of talon the fallout of overwatch maybe it takes us into that new omnium that or old omnium that's somewhere out there that we don't know about like there are so many things that they could potentially flesh out that then serve to build the world sort of from the past forward, I think would be really, really cool. And it was something that I know we talked about before, and you mentioned the the graphic novel. We were looking forward to that. We were looking forward to having these source of stories that fleshed out these characters, fleshed out this world, this world that, I mean, genuinely, we don't know a whole lot about, honestly, only what they've shown us, which is such a small portion of it. Can you imagine the the Blizzard World episode? Oh God, <laughs> where they go to Blizzard World? Yeah, that'd be great. Just like, and and you know, it it ends up with them in the skins that they get for Blizzard World, like where you've got Zarya's there and she ends up in the barbarian outfit, <laughs> and all of that stuff happens, and it's just it's a complete comedy episode. And then the next, like they get the next episode could totally be this really grim and, and like kind of terrifying story of what it is to be Reaper. Yep. Yeah. Now that no, you could totally do that. That's perfect. And, and I like that idea. And I think it would also be really interesting too, if they leveraged technology to tell the story and, and going back to the love, death and robots. The interesting thing when Netflix did that is that nobody had the same order of episodes it was varied based on your watch history. There was actually an algorithm in the background that ran that rearranged the order of the episodes to more fit your, your watch history. Now imagine applying that to these types of stories where you could have that, that, that weird disparity and that, that sort of jump between one or the other, where it would be a unique overwatch experience for people watching the show where nobody's sequence of stories that are unfolding for them is told in the exact same order. I think that would be really, really interesting and engaging and would possibly spur people to talk about it a little bit more. I, I, I love the idea. 
I love the idea. And if they throw a musical episode in there, I'd be sold wholeheartedly. If we, we get an episode where they're, they're all singing everything that happens, and it's just, you know, essentially, I don't know, give me Reinhardt and Brigitte the opera. The worst part is I immediately came up with a frame device for that, which is that the interface that allows Genji to understand and process the information that comes in from his various auditory and you know visual implants malfunctions. <laughs> and so he's experiencing everything. His brain is interpreting everything as musical, even though it shouldn't be, just because the program that tells it, oh, that's music, that's not, is not working. It's just turning everything into music. And it's like, can, can you fix this, please? I will do my best. No, I need you to write it down because I need to not hear you because you keep singing. And I, I don't think you understand how annoying it is when everybody sings all the time. Except but, McCree. McCree can sing as much as McCree wants to see, sing. Well, imagine, too, like he goes at one point, he's confronting his brother, and his brother is singing at him, and he goes, mm, mm, You don't understand what's happening right now. See, I was just thinking more along the lines of like Reinhardt gets hit in the head really, really hard as he charges into a wall or something like that. And he thinks everybody's singing, but occasionally it just cuts back to him singing back to everybody and everybody looking at each other really confused of why he's just singing all the time. See, I got to be upfront with you. I got to feel like Reinhardt's been doing that so long that, you know, <laughs> that's probably already happened. <laughs> oh, you mean like the time Reinhardt hit himself in the head? Oh, yeah, I remember that. Remember the second time he did it? And he thought everything, everybody was like, uh, was like a talking gorilla. And that Winston <laughs> wasn't a talking gorilla. But everybody else was. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, wow. Reinhardt's taking a lot of head blows over the years. Yes, he has. But, yeah. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. That takes us up to our time frame. Uh, I want to thank Crow for coming out and joining us for this episode and for helping uh, get those topics in line today. Thank you very much, Crow. I hope you had a good time. Always a pleasure. Definitely. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Normally, we would end with a final thought, but I think we're pretty good as far as that goes. I will say make sure that you do check out the Patreon uh, for our current or upcoming goals, and if the seems like it's interesting to you by all means we appreciate the continued support uh, additionally make sure that you continue to send your questions and i'd say thematic episode ideas to podcast at blizzardwatch.com hit us up on twitter if you know our handles there diablo uh, episode rossi really wants to do a diablo episode so if you guys ask for it it will happen uh hey, uh, hey you happen guys got any of them you guys got any of them diablo episodes cuz uh <laughs> So we could we could sit there and talk about the Haradrim for for a long long time I'm sure uh, or hit us wild and listen exactly or hit us up on our our Discord uh, we do have a Patreon supporter chat section and we do check it rather frequently so thank you very much and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.